Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's Health Department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, I speak with Professor Elizabeth Letourneau, the director of the Moore Center for the Prevention of Child Sexual Abuse. We speak about the evidence that rising rates of child sexual abuse may be a consequence of the coronavirus pandemic and what can be done to prevent that from happening. Let's listen. Dr. Letourneau, thank you so much for joining me. Is this a time of particular concern for child sexual abuse? It really seems to be. Responses to COVID-19 may have inadvertently increased the risk of child sexual abuse in two ways. First, we believe the risk for online offending has increased due to children and adults spending more time online for work, education, and recreation. Second, we believe the risk for offending perpetrated by household members has also increased as adults and children spend more time confined together due to stay-at-home orders. So do we have any sense of the reality of this? Is there any way to get a sense of whether this is actually happening as opposed to the understandable concern that's there? There is. My colleague Michael Cito and I have been in touch with prevention organizations both here in the United States and internationally. Stop It Now is a prevention organization that has offices here in the U.S. and the U.K. and elsewhere. And they offer several online resources for people concerned about their own sexual thoughts and behaviors, and also for people concerned about the sexual thoughts or behaviors of others. Between February and April of this year, so pre-COVID and during COVID, the monthly views of some of their web pages increased dramatically. For example, they saw a 41% spike on their page that addresses the question of whether viewing child pornography is a type of child sexual abuse. And of course, the answer to that question is yes. Viewing child sexual abusive images is one form of child sexual abuse perpetration. Stop It Now also saw a 26% increase in traffic to their webpage that is designed for people with concerns about their own sexual thoughts and behaviors. So we are seeing increased help-seeking behavior, both among people who might be at risk of offending and people who are concerned about the thoughts and behaviors of others. So I guess there's some serious concern that problems are going up, but there's also more people seeking help. Can that demand for help be met? Maybe if you could talk a little bit about what it means for someone to come forward with with that kind of concern and what can be done to help them. Sure. As you can imagine, it takes a, a fair amount of courage to recognize that you might be at risk of sexually abusing a child and to reach out for help for that. Fortunately, over the last several years, several prevention resources have been developed specifically for people who, who are seeking help. 
we want to make those resources more widely available. And to do that, we received some funding from the Oak Foundation. And again, my colleague, uh, Michael Cito and I developed a resource guide where we provide a short list of vetted prevention resources. These include links to Help Wanted, which is a prevention curriculum that we developed at the Moore Center, as well as links to curricula, web pages, and self-help groups developed by other organizations such as Stop It Now. To find this resource page, you just need to go to our website, the Moore Center for the Prevention of Child Sexual Abuse. You can type in Moore Center, that's M-O-O-R-E Center, into a search engine, and our website should be one of the first things that pops up. So many people think of child sexual abuse as a crime, not something that can be prevented. Can you talk a little bit about what the Moore Center does and what you're doing now in the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. The Moore Center was launched in 2012 with a mission to prevent child sexual abuse from happening in the first place. And as you well know, child sexual abuse represents a serious yet preventable public health problem that contributes really to the global burden of disease through its negative impacts on physical and mental health of survivors. Worldwide, approximately 12% of all children are affected by child sexual abuse. And in the U.S., about 25% of girls and 5% of boys are affected. Most efforts to address child sexual abuse prioritize after-the-fact strategies to identify and punish offenders and to treat and support survivors. Prevention efforts have been undervalued and limited to training young children to keep themselves safe by recognizing resisting and reporting abuse. Unfortunately, these efforts, while important, do little to prevent harm. We believe a more effective strategy would be to prevent the onset of child sexual abuse perpetration. That's the same strategy we take with child physical abuse and other forms of childhood violence. We don't rely solely on arresting abusive parents and treating victims, and we certainly don't expect children to keep themselves safe from parental abuse. Instead, we've put many resources into developing and evaluating effective programs for at-risk parents and even entire communities that prevent the onset of physical abuse and neglect. We can do the same thing for child sexual abuse. We can develop, evaluate, and disseminate effective perpetration prevention strategies. And I'm happy to describe one of those if, if um, there's time to do so. Yeah, well, I like to ask you, particularly for people who are a little skeptical that this kind of thing could be prevented, what's the evidence uh, for that? Well, sure. I think there's two areas of skepticism. One is people who have sexual interest in children even reach out for help. Will they avail themselves of resources? And the answer to that is absolutely, absolutely yes. Uh, we have colleagues in Germany who launched an online prevention curriculum just a couple of years ago. More than 8,000 people have accessed that curriculum. And it's specifically for people who self-identify as having sexual interest in young children. So we know that if you build resources and you put them out there, that people will come, people will avail themselves of, of the resources. The second area of skepticism is whether that works, whether people who are at risk of offending can be deterred from offending. And again, the evidence 
is that this is absolutely preventable. We know from our own research and research of others that when we develop school-based prevention programs, these effectively reduce the likelihood that adolescents will engage in sexual harassment and sexual offending behaviors with their peers. There's far less evidence about interventions that target adults, and that's because there's been no money to evaluate these resources. So there are prevention curricula, there's self-help groups, there's web pages, all of the resources that I mentioned that we list on our webpage. Almost none of those have been rigorously evaluated because until this year, there has never been dedicated funding to support the evaluation of perpetration prevention efforts. So it sounds like there's some real uh, hope that there are some prevention solutions, that that doesn't negate the fact that actual perpetration is a crime, but the goal is to avoid it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We certainly want to hold people accountable for harming others, and we want to support survivors. But those two things do not prevent abuse from happening in the first place. And I think we have a real a real duty to prevent abuse from happening. It's not enough to wait for children to be sexually abused and only then intervene. It's absolutely not enough. So I saw recently that the California governor has put additional resources into child welfare, very much concerned about child abuse and neglect in general. What would you recommend for policymakers to do to uh, reduce the chance of child sexual abuse happening? Well, I think that's a that's a good step. But of course, most children don't enter child welfare. Uh, certainly, that's an area of concern. We need a much broader focus, a national strategy that addresses child sexual abuse, regardless of where it occurs, whether it occurs online or offline, whether it occurs in the context of child welfare cases or more generally. We need a much broader strategy that emphasizes developing, testing, and disseminating effective perpetration prevention strategies, strategies that prevent the onset of sexual offending, as much as we focus on detecting offending, holding offenders accountable, and supporting survivors. Well, I appreciate uh, your taking time to talk to me about this, and I really wish you and the others at the Moore Center uh, the best at this difficult time. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen-McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.